Hello, welcome to another Naked Football show, my lovelies, and uh, welcome to a naked virgin in the shape of uh, Adam Williams, who's joining us for the very first time. Fortunately, as I said, um, as we're doing this socially distanced, as it were, I can get hold of people that don't necessarily live in Ipswich and don't have to come in the studio, which is a bonus. So I've got hold of Adam. Welcome, Adam. Good evening, GB. Um, yeah, uh, long-time listener, first-time what I think we uh, we say in the trade, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like this. Yeah. You, uh, where are you based, Adam? Are you based in Reading or something? Yes. So uh, um, for those who aren't aware about me and my background, um, I'm, I'm an Essex boy, a Chelmsford boy by birth um, growing up um, and have been a town fan um, since oh, probably about the age of eight. So my watching sort of started uh, in the John Lyle years. Okay. Um, 1990 season, uh, basically, because Town were the first team that my first league team that my dad ever um, took me to go and see, um, and it just happened to coincide just before that glorious um, title-winning season in 91-92 with promotion to the Premier League for the first time, and uh, my sort of love affair started then. I was a season ticket holder um, for pretty much every year up until. Um, around about the time I started leaving home properly and going out into the big wide world of work and, and finally having to uh, find my trade somewhere else. I think I stopped being a season ticket holder probably just before Roy Keane's time. Um, Wise decision. Now, <laughs> purely coincidental. Yeah. Um, and now um, I'm, a, I'm a full-time sports reporter and journalist for the BBC Sport website and I am based, as you say, uh, in the sort of Thames Valley area in Reading and I predominantly look after um, the South Coast region uh, and the Thames Valley covering uh, football league, county cricket, rugby union, this, that and everything in between. Do you actually, do you get to games or is does work sort of tie you down there? I know no um, one can get so, to games at the moment but you know yeah. what I mean. Well, it was Oxford last night. Um, I braved the cold so that those of you watching at home uh, didn't have to, but I can uh, happily report that it was considerably drier than the last time that Switch played there because I think you were there at that game last season, weren't you, which nearly got rained off. Um, I also um, just about made it from the car to the seats uh, without drowning. Um, it was such a monsoon that evening. Um, but well, while it was dry last night, unfortunately, it was absolutely Baltic um, and the football unfortunately didn't um, warm people up too much either. Well, my niece uh, went to the last one, and uh, because it was, um, she lives at the moment. She's living near Welling, uh, Milton Keynes, and mm-hmm. um, because of the stoppages, she uh, was panicking that she wasn't going to get home because the tr- she has to get a bus and a train and another yeah. train or something. And in the end, it was too late, and so she was panicking as to what to do. And it just so happened she, we, we were sitting next to a guy who. Uh, Comes from Milton Keynes, so he drove her home in a Maserati. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Like my my journey home that night was not as glamorous, unfortunately. Me and a, a colleague from work we waited it out in the in the bar that's in the uh, the Timpin bowling alley at the back of there um, for the crowds to clear and the rain to dry out. But yeah. you can't do that at the moment, can you? Um, so last night was a very different experience. Yeah, it's also a bit of a way out of the city centre as well, isn't it? So. Mm. Yeah, I'm not too upset that I missed that one. So, talking about that one, <laughs> what did you make of the game? Um, well, we can talk about the game probably very briefly. Yeah. The, the main event of the evening was probably fully aware. Um, the game, oh, yeah, just a, a team, two teams very much out of form coming up against each other last night. Um, I wasn't surprised at all. 
um, coming into it that that was the scoreline that we had. Um, Oxford should have won it, actually, to be fair. They had the bulk of the chances. They hit the punches on the header in the first half. Um, a couple of other decent efforts. I thought, actually, David Cornell in goal played quite well, actually. He made two or three decent saves when he was called upon. Mm. Um, but they always looked like being the more threatening and more likely to score Oxford as the as the game went on and Taylor um, up front for them was denied a couple of times as well as McGain, the, the winger, um, caused a few problems. From an Ipswich perspective, they just never, ever looked like having a threat in the final third and it took a very, very tame header <laughs> in the first minute of stoppage time from Ollie Hawkins to even register an effort on goal. Mm. Um, and uh, just one of those things that Okay, there were 11 players unavailable last night. When you looked at the team that started that game, it was a very, very raw uh, and quite inexperienced team. I think something like eight of the team that started were aged between 19 and 22. But if you're going to have realistic ambitions of um, trying to get promoted out of this division this year, um, even in games when you don't look particularly um confident or, or threatening you've got to have some sort of outlets and, and some sort of way of finding a way to win those matches absolutely clean sheet in something like 18 games I think so that just sort of underlines really how underwhelming it was a performance indeed so uh, you don't need me to ask you the next question do you you should work out um, thoughts on a certain Mr Lambert um, so I mean for those who don't know um, probably the big story out of the game last night was, was his performance shall we say uh, with the local media um, particularly mm. um, poor old colleague of mine Brett Woolley uh, on Ducey Suffolk to begin with and then Stuart Watson uh, decided well unfortunately copped the back end of it afterwards and I was stood amongst um, all of this at the time with some other reporters from, from other publications recording it and, and listening um, and I, I I have to confess, I don't get to see every cough and spit of Towns games every week at the moment in the flesh or even on tape due to the work commitment and other responsibilities. But um, I'm aware of what's been going on and what what the sort of environment that's bubbling up behind the scenes and under the surface is with Lambert and um, his attitude, shall we say, to, to what he feels is the coverage from local press and I just unfortunately I, I thought it just looked very very embarrassing from his part um, when you start taking that sort of approach and, and deciding to blame the local media or what you perceive as negative coverage it, it doesn't normally end well for football managers and I've seen other examples of this happening in my time both uh, personally and also through colleagues where managers at other clubs have decided to try and take on reporters who have been reporting on the club a long, long time before they arrived and will carry on reporting on the club a long, long time after they've gone. Um, and yeah, it normally doesn't um, mean that they hang around much longer after that. Yeah, and also the very fact he didn't seem to grasp the fact that people were unhappy with his style of management, not the players. He, he seemed to try and twist it so that it was looking as if the journalists were having a go at the players, which of course they weren't, especially the younger players. So I think he lost he lost it a bit there. I'm not sure whether he did that intentionally. Um, well, it's difficult to know. I mean, uh, people are probably fully aware of what the, the current situation is with Phil Hamm at, at those well, yeah. And that's the... That's even more bizarre for me because Phil was at that game last night, sat um, social distance, of course, a few seats along from me in the press box. And the most bizarre thing about that is that, that Phil was, is allowed to go to the away game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then he was talking to the two lads from the media office who were sat behind me, uh, not, the, not the head of media operations, um, Steve, but two of his assistants. And he, and he asked them before the game, he said, is it still the same situation? I'm not allowed to go down the pitch side post-match and, and do anything? I'm not allowed to speak to anybody? And he said, yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's what it is. He says, I'm not having a go at you two, but you know, I just want to double-check that the situation hasn't changed. And I understand that uh, that's a decision that's been made by Leo, Neil and Paul Lambert as well. And it just it just seems to me that they're focusing their attention in the wrong direction there. And uh, they're, they're making a big issue out of something that really they should be looking internally at and wondering how did it come to pass that a team sheet supposedly a couple of times made its way onto a message board on the morning of the game. And who is it who is feeding that information externally then? And, and why is that happening? Exactly. It's obviously coming from within, and Phil had nothing whatsoever to do with it, did he? The very fact is on his no. site, there's neither here nor there. It could have been on Twitter or anything, couldn't it? Um, and, and yeah, it's just, I, I was listening, <laughs> just listening back a bit earlier today as well to some of the, the callers post match on, on Radio Suffolk, so I wasn't able to catch it at the time, obviously. And, and two or three other people made the, the, the fair point saying, well, well, how important is that in this day and age that people get hold of the team? And, and who actually is looking? anyway from yeah. an opposition and yeah. going oh well, well they're starting with that 11 tonight are they oh we're going to have real problems there because yeah. as you probably well know and a lot of people will probably agree uh, when was the last time that Ipswich probably named a team and an opposition started quaking in their boots probably when they looked at <laughs> <laughs> who's there 1 to 11 and thought oh we're going to have real problems today um, certainly not last night because whatever was put out there um, against Oxford United they were more than uh, capable of handling yeah, should we move on and uh, see what the what the what the general consensus is? I think you pretty pretty much guess. Um, right, these are uh, tweets and emails as they came in. This is from the wonderful Mister Mullet. Um, I love Andre Dizel. Yes, we know that. <laughs> Do we think that this country's fraying of the uh, this current fraying of the manager's demeanour is harming Evans' reputation enough to force him to act, or does the financial constraints mean he can't? Um, well, um, first of all, poor Andre, I think he's going to be suspended again. Uh, Indeed, yeah. He got, he, got, he got booked again uh, last night towards the end, and I think that was his fifth yellow, so having only just come back from one suspension for that red card, he's, he's going to miss out again, which will add to the um, selection headaches, I'm sure. Um, on the on Mullet's other question, Evans was actually there at the game last night mm. um, and was seen chatting uh, along with Lee O'Neill uh, to Lambert, and again, apparently... After the game as well, they were chatting. I think I just missed them actually. Um, and he was asked about that, and he he, he got quite defensive or, or batted away the question in, in his usual way. Um, I think you had a guest on last week as well making a fair point about this with Evans and the fact that his um, sort of major income stream has obviously been dramatically hampered uh, by events around the world over the last year. And I, and I think this is the case for clubs up and down the line. There are so many managers who are still in jobs perhaps not um, doing particularly well who I think in normal times we'd have seen um, given the boots and shipped on um, and COVID has kind of been a little bit of a convenient excuse for some of them and uh, I feel Paul Lambert is currently playing in that particular territory as well. 
Yeah, I don't think alienated. He started to alienate the fans as well as the media. That's the problem. Um, from Jezza, I'm not sure any of them will be suitably answered unless there's a P45 delivered to a certain person during the day. The question then would be who or what next. In reality, a clear out of those running the club is really needed to support a new incumbent. Yes, um, I mean who, who, and what next? Well, there's, there's names out there, aren't there? Um, and there are still two or three vacancies, I think, um, in the in the EFL at the moment, including one up in the northeast at Sunderland, which it sounds like is going to potentially be uh, lined up for a certain Gaspoye and uh, one of our uh, mm. former fans' favourites, Mauricio, alongside him. Mm. Um, so that's potentially one that's out of the equation for us. Danny Cowley, that's another name that keeps coming up. Yep. Uh, Lee Johnson, the former Bristol City manager. Now, Danny Cowley would be a quite a logical one because of uh, him and his brother's Roots uh, at Essex and the previous clubs that they've managed around the areas, and they're, and they're out of work at the moment since he was um, let go by Huddersfield last year. But I, I ended up covering quite a lot of Huddersfield's claims uh, in the restarted Championship season when yep. they stayed up. Um, I don't know why I was handed that, but I seem to, by a quirk of the fixture list, ended up doing about half a dozen of their games in the restart. Um, and yeah, he got the job done that he was appointed for. He kept them up, but the, the style of football was, was quite hard to watch mm. at times. It was very, very, very attritional um, and quite sort of direct and, and one at times and, and yeah, really, really difficult to watch. But most of the time, they, they set a team up to get a result that they needed. So if they needed to really frustrate the team away from home and scrap for a draw, it normally ended up being the case. Yeah, um, but it seemed to be that there's sort of bigger picture there going on. Huddersfield didn't quite chime in with style, and you go back to these points that Evan supposedly made at the start of this season that he, he wants to have this more attractive style of football brought in. Um, would that necessarily jump in with the same sort of idea? I don't know, or is he prepared to to completely do a 180 on that and, and change his perception just for the sake of getting someone in who can who can change the momentum because I think that's probably more important than anything else at the moment. What do you make of the would which would probably work out as a cheaper option? Head over heart, of course. Or heart over head, I should have said, um, of someone like George Burley as director of football with um Dyer and Butcher and so on. Yeah, I mean Terry Butcher's a bizarre one, isn't he, really, when you think about it. For all the accolades that he achieved as a player, both, yeah. you know, domestically and and internationally, his managerial career, for some reason, while predominantly spent north of the border in Scotland, has, has never really seemed to completely um, work out that well. My, my other half side of the family had come from Newport in South Wales, and he, he got the job there a few years ago. And I remember when he was appointed, the local press were, were really enthused about Butcher getting the job because of his status and his, yeah. and his sort of reputation. But very quickly, after about a year, possibly even less than that, um, it, it, it went completely in the opposite direction um, and I just I don't know with Terry really if he's while he's obviously got huge amounts of experience to draw upon and ideas I just feel he's he's someone who's been out of the front line of the game for, for too long Kieran Dyer it's an interesting one I don't I have to say I don't know I haven't had a chance to sort of meet and speak with Kieran enough in his current sort of role and, and what he's doing in the game to, to sort of get an, enough of a perception and an idea of of what he wants to be as a coach and where his journey as a coach is, I'd say it's possibly a bit too early for something like that for him. He could well be someone a few years down the line, um, but I think that would be a massive gamble at this stage. 
I think I think you're probably right, but it does offer a a cheap option, a cheaper option if he does yeah, pull the does, trigger. Yeah. Um, Mark Tuxford, hello, Mark. Hi, GB and AW. While Marcus Evans is playing the long game regarding Mr. Lambert and his employment with ITFC, a rival club in the northeast is playing the Axe game once again. Who do you both think will replace Phil Parkinson at Sunderland? Yeah, well, as I said a bit earlier, yeah. Poye, by all accounts, is, is looking like the the favourite there. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a bigger picture going on at Sunderland for those who aren't aware with the, the takeover. Um, I think in the offing there, the, the guy who's been chairman and owner there for the last two or three years, he's actually from Oxfordshire, bizarrely. Um, Stuart Donald and used to also be the owner of a non-league team, Eastley in the National League that I um, cover quite a bit too. Okay. Work. Um, and he, unfortunately, after him and his business partner took on that um, ownership of Sunderland, I think it became a little bit beyond them. And any people who've watched the Netflix documentary. Uh, something the most recent series of yeah. um, I probably I think supervised poor old Stuart there that he, he took on a little bit more than he could chew um, I mean actually someone who was sat behind me at the game last night for those who were listening on the radio and watching on iFollow Marcus Stewart has got connections doesn't he with someone so he's out of work at the moment I don't know if not he might fancy a sort of move back into coaching or not I don't know I didn't have a chance to ask him directly about that last night but yeah Poye does seem to be the man who's, who's in the frame there to, to get the job at Sunderland Marcus would be welcome back here as well, of course, wouldn't he? Of course he would. That'd be another heart overhead, though, probably. (laughs) (laughs) It would be, wouldn't it, unfortunately? Um, Mrs. Nuts, um, Paul Lambert telling Brenner last night that he wouldn't want to be married to him. (laughs) Brenner should have replied, don't worry, babes, you're not my type, you... Yeah, that was another bizarre episode from last night, Mm. for those who heard it go out live or read the transcript on on EADT. Completely un necessary that that response I, I think Brenner was asking him a question about what did you feel about your lack of goal threat tonight which is a fair enough question to ask mm. because with Aaron Drinnen and, and Jack Lancaster starting up front last night and, and only being replaced by um, Jackson and uh, Hawkins with about half an hour to go there, there wasn't unfortunately no, it wasn't for want of those two not trying um, they just couldn't get enough of the ball and they couldn't get any sort of chemistry going and yeah I mean that's again I talked about it earlier on. When, when managers start getting uh, petulant and, and pedantic in their answers and, and snipey like that, it, it doesn't normally end well. Exactly. Um, Ian, this is loosed off Ian. I have to do the accent. Loosed off Ian. <laughs> Good evening, GB and Willie. Hey, anger, I'm past that. Couldn't be asked to watch last night. Sadly, it's all too predictable. This can only end one way. How many times has a manager turned something round from this situation? So my question is, how long and slow will this ending be? You know, I mean, it's this five-year contract thing that was awarded mm. in January is, is the big, is the big sort of elephant in the room, isn't it? And it was funny that they were playing a team in Oxford last year, sorry, last night, who who, who got all the way within sort of ten minutes of getting promoted for the playoff final last yeah. season, uh, and then they also awarded their manager Robinson, Carl Robinson, a five-year contract not long after the start of the season. And now look at where they are mm. in the table now. And actually, a colleague of mine who commentates on Radio Oxford said, "Well." these are the two managers in the most comfortable position in this league at the moment, aren't they? So mm. whatever happens in the short term, you, you, you think it's unlikely that they're going to to be gone. I think the only thing that's going to happen if it, if it is a short-term change is if he turns around and decides I've had enough of this, do you know what? Off we go. I'll, I'll walk away. But how many managers doing that nowadays and even before you take in the current climate? Mm. And also, who, who's likely to pick up Lambert if he leaves? One way exactly. or the other. Yeah. Okay, um... Ginger Eagle, this is at Ginger Eagle 73. This is Lee. What will happen first, Evan sacking Lambert or Lambert admitted to a psychiatric ward? 
Um, well, I'm not qualified in that regard. Um, again, yeah, similar to the previous answer. <sighs> Who knows? Yeah. The, ultimately, it's Marcus Evans' decision to make, isn't it? If he wants to um, make a change. Indeed. Um, email from Izzy. Um, she sent the the Guardian article. I'm guessing you read that yesterday, did you? The Guardian. Yeah, found fan actually. Yes, I know. I know. Yes, yeah. Among other things, it states Evans requested during the summer that Lambert minimise the squad rotation while instilling a more attractive playing style. This is exactly what you said, wasn't it, Adam? He then informed the players of those edicts in what, given his traditionally hands-off approach, was an extraordinary intervention. Do you think this explains why Lambert is sticking to this rigid 4-3-3 when we don't have an out-and-out striker who can manage on his own? Personally, I think our squad are much better suited to 4-4-2, despite Lambert's comment about the team looking dreadful in that formation. Also, if we're a little paranoid, could it explain our injury list? Tan have had problems with injuries for a long time, even back in the days of McCarthy. But the injured injury list is ridiculous at the moment. Does it give Lambert the perfect excuse to go on tinkering with the team? We still haven't got a settled team and there's no partnerships developing, which, like last year, is causing our performance to stagnate as teams around us get into their stride. Regards, Izzy. Thanks for that, Izzy. Yes, Adam. Yeah, lots of lots of good points in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the injury list thing is ridiculous, really, isn't it? I don't think there's another club um, in League One or possibly even the Championship who've got that many out injured at the moment. No. Um, and it is a convenient excuse for him because he can keep turning around and saying, "Look, this is the this is the bare bones of the squad I've got left. These are the only players I can select." Um, and and four four two, yeah, I think they did actually look a little bit more promising when they switched to four four two for the last twenty minutes last night. Yep. Four three three doesn't work for me. I mean, Dobra just looked very very lightweight up front in that position last night clearly a talented footballer but it just wasn't the right selection last night for uh, for someone in that formation indeed uh, I, I actually listened to the um, Oxford commentary rather than uh, <laughs> I couldn't work out how to get Brenner and uh, and uh, Marcus so it's you you watch you actually get a different sense of the game completely listening you to do, the home yeah. side. Um, this is from uh, Slower Ball. Good evening, G. Good evening, Willow. Love the show. Does the panel think that our expectations are now far far too high, and the realistic position is that our club is an all at an all time low in Championship football, and anything beyond is simply an unachievable pipe dream? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, thanks and thanks and good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's following an all too familiar pattern for last season already this season, isn't it? And as I said there, a few weeks ago, I thought if you can win games and not be particularly convincing, that is normally a sign of a of a team that's that probably doing the right things. But I think that sort of my my theory of that kind of went out the window about three games ago after that Shrewsbury um, performance, and especially after losing those games quite sort of. Mm. against Hull and Charlton and I, I just don't think there's enough quality in the squad to, to, to get them into the top two and even the top six potentially this season Do you know I actually think I think the squad is actually good enough it's just whether we've got a manager that can do it um, We got a, Have we got two games or one game coming up? We've got Plymouth on Saturday haven't we? Plymouth Saturday yeah Is there a Tuesday game? Is there a Tuesday? I'm not sure actually They, they come so they thick and fast don't they? they do don't they? Are you going to get to Plymouth? Uh, not personally, no. no. Um, I might not get to in the flesh too many more in the in the sort of coming weeks and months. I'll have to sort of sit down and and work out when the likes of um, games against Portsmouth and a few others in the London region are on the agenda, and also what the sort of bigger picture is going on um, with the world and, and how how much more they relax the, the, the sort of restrictions yeah, on clouds and what have you. So yeah. 
Yeah, at least we have a vaccine. There's one bit of good news in all this. Um, exactly. So a quick prediction yeah. for Plymouth then. Oh, it was good, good job I got you on this week then, wasn't it, as you happened to go to the game. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. <laughs> um, well, they got thumped last night, didn't they? So we might get a nil-nil draw, play our cards, right? Yeah, quite possibly. And <laughs> I worked with a kind of supporting colleague who said that the sort of goodwill in their manager is, is ebbing away quite quickly. And yeah. I know he's one who's been mentioned in the past as a possible um, future town manager. <sighs> got to get a result. Got to score a goal. Um but I'm going to say 1-1. God, blimey. I, I won a tenner yesterday. I put us down for a draw. But anyway, <laughs> that's the highlight of my night. Um, thank you, Adam. We've got to go, unfortunately. It's just gone again. Pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for your emails. Thank you for your tweets, etc. Till next week, stay safe. Take care. Bye.